We meet today in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 23 to verse 29. We are still looking at Solomon's last experiment, the experiment of morality. He has been trying to do good like many people do today. This going down, this is going down the middle of the road on the freeway of life. Solomon sought satisfaction in having a good name, but that did not satisfy the heart. In today's study, we continue with the same search for satisfaction in morality, especially in relationships. Here is Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 23 to verse 29. I'm going to look at all the verses in one block reading. And then after that, I will make the necessary comments uh, and highlighting some of the important lessons for us to learn today. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 23 to verse 29. All this I have pondered by wisdom. I said, I will be wise. But it was far from me. As for that which is far off and exceedingly deep, who can find it out? I applied my heart to know, to search and seek out wisdom and the reason of things, to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and madness. And I find more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nests, whose hands are fetters, he who pleases God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be trapped by her. Here is what I have found, says the preacher, adding one thing to the other to find out the reason, which my soul still seeks, but I cannot find. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Truly, this only I have found, that God made men upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Now, for us to be able to understand these things, I would like to call your attention once again to the concept of the whole book of Ecclesiastes, so that we can understand even what has been meant by how people have sought many schemes here. You see, the book of Ecclesiastes is a dramatic autobiography of King Solomon's life. When he was away from God, this man is not close to God. He is far away, under the sun, under heaven. Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, gives us gems of wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he gives us bubbles now, not of wisdom, but bubbles of folly. Then in the Song of Solomon, love is the subject. Now, wisdom, foolishness, and love. Solomon was an expert in all the three fields. Big time, he knew how to play the fool. He was wise in government, and his love life was quite a story. 700 wives and 300 concubines, all of them 1,000. Solomon also 
was the wisest man. But no man ever played the fool more thoroughly than he did. So you would say, he is the riddle of revelation. He is the paradox of scripture. For the wisest man was the greatest fool. Man has tried to be happy without God. And it is being tried day by day today by millions of people, especially young people, especially learned people, especially people who have access to material possessions. Now, this book shows the absurdity of the attempt to find satisfaction apart from God, to find happiness apart from God. Solomon tried every field of endeavor and, and pleasure that was known to men, but his conclusion was that all is vanity. And God showed Job, a righteous man, that he was a sinner in God's sight. In Ecclesiastes, God showed Solomon, the wisest man, that he was a fool in God's sight. Now the main point of Ecclesiastes 7 verse 23 all the way to 29 is ab about finding wisdom that the teacher feels is very rare among the humans. From a discussion of the good life, the teacher passes to the intense depression he has felt when seeing men and women at their worst. My friend, Wise people admit that the problem of evil is insoluble. But practical evil is a horrible reality for which men and women can be held responsible. As in modern times, the teacher faced the evil of unrestrained sex alluded to in verse 26. As an example of human folly, he warned against the opportunities offered by the women of easy or loose morals. Now Solomon found that an absolutely wise man is exceedingly rare. An absolutely wise person is difficult to find, one in a thousand. But so far he had not found even that tiny, this tiny percentage among the women. That is my understanding of verse 28. A tiny percentage of one in a thousand could not be found even among the women. Now, one cannot blame God for this. So the fault lies in man's misuse of his freedom. That is what verse 29 talks about. It talks of man's misuse of his freedom. How do we see the misuse of man's freedom? Because verse 29 accurately reads, Truly, this only I have found, that God made men upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Now, at this point, I would like to amplify the thought that is expressed in verse 29, because this is key to understanding the present condition of men. I would like to read it from a number of Bible translations to emphasize the shades of meaning. The new uh, contemporary version says, One thing I have learned, God made people good, 
but they have found all kinds of ways to be bad. That's the new contemporary version. The new American Bible says, God made many kinds straight, but men have had recourse to many calculations, not calculations, all kinds of ways to be bad. Calculations here. The Living Bible says, Though God has made men upright, each has turned away to follow his own downward road. The contemporary English version says, We were completely honest when God created us, but now we have twisted minds. And of course, our New King James Version says, God made men upright, but they have sought out many schemes. I would like to emphasize that verse because it is important. Reading from these translations and paraphrases makes me turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 20 to verse 22, which says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. You see here, people who had a knowledge of God and truth turned their backs on him by coming up with a lot of excuses and mental calculations. This sentence is prevalent today. Many people in modern society act as if they should be able to live without accountability, without pain, without suffering or disappointment. They just want to have things their way and none other. For many people, self-indulgence, pleasure and happiness appear as their inalienable rights to which they are entitled they not only feel that no limits should hinder them in achieving personal satisfaction, but their life somehow owes it to them. But according to the preacher or the philosopher, if you like, it takes some interesting mental tricks, twisted minds, all kinds of ways, many calculations or schemes to hold this view of life. Now, here are some of the schemes that are often used to deny the more painful realities of life. Even the realities as observed by the preacher under the sun and even the reality of our final and ultimate accountability to God. The first route that people would take is that of escape. You see, we may feel uh, we don't want to face this reality, therefore we escape. We seek to flee from unpleasantness by involving ourselves even in innumerable distractions, just to be out of the picture. It actually fits the proverbial uh, ostrich, which hides its head in the sand at the sound of coming danger. That does not help. 
for the head is too small, but the body is so big that the head that is under the sand will come out finally when the body has been attacked. So as a result, we become too busy to think, we become too busy to reflect or even hear about things that we can't handle, enjoy or control. We may even set up elaborate ways to avoid negative information, such as skipping the hard news sections of the newspapers, such as switching off the television and not want to hear the news, such as avoiding appearing wherever God is being talked about. You see, other people resort even to alcohol, to drugs, to overeating, to study, overworking, and some even to speed. That is simply escaping, my friend. There is nothing wrong inherently with busyness, but God offers a life that is busy with joy. You need a life that is busy yet with joy. Remember, you can be busy, you can keep on going, but it is God who gives joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 20, according to the contemporary English version, says, God will keep you so happy that you won't have time to worry about each day. Isn't that amazing? The second route that people would take to avoid or to deny the more painful realities of life is denial. We may deny that we are accountable for what we do. Psalm 14 verse 1 says that a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. We may even deny that life has problems by constantly telling each other, everything is fine. Our conversations may be filled with the propaganda that we want to believe. In this way, we can become like the false scribes, false prophets that Jeremiah described, whose cry was, peace, peace. When there was no peace at all. Jeremiah 8 verse 11. God is the God of peace. But he also uses the adversity of life to build our character. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 14 tells us. When times are good. You should be cheerful. When times are bad. Think what it means. God makes them both to keep us from knowing what will happen. And that is according to the contemporary English version. The third result is indifference. We may become callous to people's pain. We may become callous, uh, not wanting to be aware of their suffering. We become unmoved by it, even though we may know that they are suffering. We say, life is too tough, but so what? There is nothing that I can do. And that is the attitude we may adopt. In reality, there may be very little that we can do. Yet God would have us show compassion for those who are oppressed. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 1 tells us, I looked again and saw people being mistreated everywhere on the earth. They were crying, but no one was there to offer comfort. And those who mistreated them were powerful. We must be able to show compassion. The fourth route to avoid facing the realities of life is actually hedonism, which we see here Solomon had chosen. We may deal with pain and reality by engaging 
in an extreme pursuit of happiness, becoming party animals and living from one thrill to the next. Actually, there is a place in life for leisure and pleasure, but God shows how empty the worship of ourselves and pleasure systems can become. Actually, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 11 elaborated those issues. Finally, we may even withdraw. We may also avoid the world's dark realities by turning inward, closing off as many contacts as possible with the outside world. We may protect our space behind private fences or answering machines or security systems, always in control of the people and information that reach us. We may forsake the claims of others and instead insist that our values, interests and rights are the one that really matter. However, God reminds us that turning inward can lead to an empty, lonely and barren existence. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 8 tells us, according to the contemporary English version, for example, some people don't have friends or family, but they are never satisfied with what they own, and they never stop working to get more. They should ask themselves, why am I always working to have more? Who will get what I leave behind? What a senseless and miserable life. My friend, are you using one or more of these strategies to avoid some of the more painful realities of life? Your responsibility to God and your responsibility to mankind, are you using these to avoid them? If so, you will want to consider that only by facing reality with God's strength can you find real meaning and purpose. You see, for Solomon, he concluded that it could be avoided. And he concluded, and he even came up with many schemes. If you like, he was summarizing some of the things that he had done. He tried science, he tried philosophy and psychology, he tried all the rest, coming up with many schemes. But God did not give him satisfaction, because satisfaction only comes when the heart is occupied by God when the heart is occupied by God. My friend, in Ecclesiastes here, we learn that without Christ, we cannot be satisfied. Even if we possess the whole world and all the things that men consider necessary to make their heart content, the world cannot satisfy the heart because the heart is too large for the world. You see, the other time when I was in Israel, it was very eye-opening for me when our tour guide took us to the place of Gennesaret where the man who was delivered of the many demons. And during the conversation when we were standing at that place, he mentioned something that revolutionized my life to say, you see that this man would contain so many legions which could not be contained by the pigs after he was delivered, the pigs all went to drown, but man was able to live with them. Why? The reason, he said, 
is because God has created us with a larger capacity not to contain demons, but to contain God himself, to contain God himself. And our teacher Augustine has even emphasized that point. Our souls are restless until they have found rest in you. You see, the heart is too large for the world. It will still not satisfy you. The Song of Solomon teaches that if we turn from the world and set our affections on Christ, we cannot fathom the infinite preciousness of his love. The object is too large for the heart. The only object that is too large for the heart is the love of God. Anything else you put in there, you will still be in want. But when you have met with the Savior, when you have met him and he gives you his love, you will be satisfied and your heart will be filled. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please write to The Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park 1620, South Africa. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me give you that address again. It's The Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park 1620, South Africa.